Drops the throw, sets his feet down the left side. He's going for LaVisca Chanel, who cuts inside the defender. And he comes up with a football. Oh, are you kidding me? That is a touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. By the wide receiver, LaVisca Chanel. And what a way to set the record for Steven Montez. Here comes the blitz. Hit, and it's picked off on a throw over the middle. Caught by Nate Lamon. He runs it up the near side, and he stumbles across the 30-yard line. Tripped up by the quarterback, Eason, and it's a turnover. Montez, under center. They give it off on the end around the LaVisca Chanel, who runs over the top of an offender and discards the defensive player and chucks him aside and works his way down to the 30. That right there came down to a will and a want to. And falls to the ball, takes it chest high. He scans, he looks, here comes a blitz. He is grabbed by Perry, and he's sacked. How about that play by the freshman? Montez is snap, play action, sets to throw. He's going for the home run. Tony Brown is in the end zone, and he makes the grab. End zone, touchdown, touchdown, Colorado. Oh, what a throw. Oh, what a catch by Tony Brown. Welcome into New Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, it's been a while. Five and seven. Not what CU hoped for, but uh, what we expected to happen in year one. We both predicted a five and seven record. I think it might be the first time we've both been accurate with our, our season prediction. Not that I'm, I'm trying to gloat about that or anything. Yeah, not a prediction you want to be correct about. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's year one. Sometimes things go better than planned. Sometimes, you know, you look pretty ugly out there, and I think that's just a nature of the beast when you're you have changeover of a program. You go back and look at obviously the defense was swimming for a good portion of the beginning of the year, so it's hard to expect them to rack up wins against what was a pretty good schedule. Exactly one year now since Mel Tucker was hired. Uh, he was hired on December fifth, twenty eighteen. There's a lot of hype building around this program despite the fact they're not going to a bowl game recruiting is a big reason why the improvements on defense a big reason why just mel tucker's demeanor are you buying into the hype did you see what you wanted to see from him through 12 months that make you feel confident that he's the man to to lead this program and, and take it to that next step that mike mcintyre wasn't able to i certainly think everything off the field you would have to I don't think you could make any complaints about how he handles the media and the fans and just the overall lifestyle of Boulder. I mean he's been present at almost every big event. Never seems like he's too busy for someone or anything, which I think is really cool. On the field, I don't I don't think you can say he failed by any stretch of the imagination, but at the end of the day, five and seven is not gonna get it done long term. There's only so so much time you have before the fans expect you to win. I think he's got a couple years before people really start putting any pressure on him. And I, I think he's the guy to get there. But, you know, a lot of this is just optimism because it's a change. And he's still got to get it done at some point. You know what I mean? Like there's sure being optimistic is fun, but going five and seven isn't. So at some point that's not going to be acceptable anymore. I made a comment to somebody recently. I feel like if Mel Tucker's not the guy to lead Colorado back to being competitive and a program that earns respect going forward, this program might be cursed. Yeah, 
I mean, yeah, it, it does kind of feel like if he can't find a way to get this done, who really can? And that's a testament to him, but also the state of the program, too. Like, there's definitely some pressure in my own head about if this doesn't work out, where do you go from here? So it'll definitely be a little bit of a stressful maybe next two years. The schedule next year doesn't allow for a whole lot of improvement, I don't think. So hopefully our people are patient with that. We'll have to see how it plays out. But, I mean, I definitely like the direction the program is headed. I like his mindset. I think he's, as he's proving right now, he's going to be able to recruit. But at some point, recruits aren't going to come if you don't win. So at some point, you've got to find a way to get those wins. You mentioned that he seems to have time for everybody. It must be nice to only require like four hours of sleep. I'm not that type of person. I need a lot of sleep to be able to function. Man, but yeah, you think like if if I sleep eight hours, he sleeps four. That's four hours of productivity that he has that, yeah. that I don't. Uh, it, it is impressive though. And there are some head coaches that look at the media boosters as a responsibility. Mel Tucker genuinely seems to enjoy those aspects of the job or at least puts on a pretty good front that he does yeah yeah i guess you don't really know but he definitely doesn't come off as someone who would rather be somewhere else yeah obviously some highlights low lights during the 2019 season Uh, the nebraska win i'd have to go back and really rank them but that's got to be a top 10 maybe top five moment uh, of me being on this cu beat yeah i mean the comeback, obviously, you don't come back from 17 down at halftime very often. So that's one that we'll remember. I mean, there's no lie. We don't like that program, and they clearly don't like us. So anytime you can get them two years in a row, it feels pretty good. Now they got to sit on it for a few more years. And I think they come back to Boulder next, right? I think the next mm-hmm. yep. Nebraska series starts in Boulder. So we'll have an opportunity to really uh, put our name on the, you know, it could be a little bit more of a traditional rivalry if we could you know, start some winning streaks of our own. Yeah. Obviously going down to Tempe against a program that had really owned CU up to that point, at least in games played in Tempe was a big moment. Being able to hold hold their own in the trenches against Washington, I realize this isn't the same Washington team that they were the previous three years under Chris Peterson, but obviously a big deal there. In terms of lowlights, you know, oh so close against USC. Khalil Tate again yeah. is just insane against CU. You look back, I think you look back more at those two games in terms of why they didn't get bowl eligible as compared to UCLA and Oregon where they just really didn't show up and compete in those games. Those were frustrating for a different reason, but I think if you're looking back at this season a couple years from now, you're going to remember those USC and Arizona losses more than, than going out on the road and losing to the Ducks and Bruins. The USC one definitely stands out above the rest for me because they had the game and they didn't you know i don't think they took enough chances to seal it up uh, they they lost that game rather than another team winning it which is never how you, how you want to look back at a game arizona always gives us trouble <clears throat> and they shouldn't but it's just a reality like i don't remember at any point in that game being like wow we have this that was a battle throughout the game that if Mel Tucker is going to be successful at CU, they're going to have to be winning those style of games because they, I think we have more talent than they do. Same with UCLA, you know, down the stretch, you know, four or five years from now, we're going to have to win more of those games than we don't. I just think the USC won. It's not just one game. We haven't beaten them. And to get off the schneid and have, yeah. that, have that one on the resume in year one of Mel Tucker would have been pretty special for the fan base. You can mention the Air Force game too, but that turned out to be a pretty good football team. Yeah. 
And uh, there's not much animosity. Again, if there's one team as a CU fan you'd be okay losing to just from uh, feeling good about the other team with a win, it's got to be Air Force. Yeah, I mean, the most frustrating part about that game is obviously we had an extra point blocked. We would have won. They missed one, too, though. Yeah, but it was at the end of the game that would have gotten it done. But honestly, they were better than us and were better than us for a majority of that football game. So, And looking back on it, with how much that defense was swimming against any offense, we really probably should have expected they'd struggle um, against the option. Did anything surprise you during Mel Tucker's first season at CU? Um, I think I would just say, from a negative perspective, just that they weren't more aggressive. That SEC mentality came into the Pac-12 a little bit at some points in the middle of the year. I thought he did a good job bouncing back from that down the stretch and taking some chances. Yeah, some of those risky decisions, you'll take a loss. But I think when you're when the talent on your side is inferior, you're probably going to lose anyway, so you might as well go out swinging. So hopefully he continues to be a little more aggressive with those decisions down the stretch. I think you need to do that type of stuff in the Pac-12. They had a lot of talent on offense this year. They really underperformed on that side of the ball. Yeah. I was really surprised. I, I thought for sure this was a team that was going to average at least closer to 30 points a game, if not more. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line, there's a lot of penalties, so there's still work that needs to be done there. But there's no doubt in terms of on-field product, they were easily the best offensive line yeah. I've seen here in a while. There were times they were just manhandling the mm-hmm. other team. And I don't think we ran the ball enough um, for a good portion of the year, too. But you know, at some point, I'm, I'm a big Montez guy, but there he had a lot of pieces this year, and it still didn't really come together. So at some point, he definitely didn't get them to their full percent potential. Going into this year, you looked at Jimmy Brumbaugh and Tyson Summers and said, man, those guys have a really big challenge on their hands this year. Both those guys did pretty well with that challenge. I think looking ahead to next year, you're losing LaVisca Chenault and Tony Brown. And even though Steven Montez was very inconsistent, he still had experience. I look to Jay Johnson next year as somebody that has a really big challenge in front of them. And maybe, to your point, needs to stop outsmarting himself at points and if the ground game's working, stick with it. Yeah, that's my biggest frustration with Jay. I think he's probably the number one guy on the staff that has the most to prove next year. Um, too many times this season, something would work, and then it would work again, and then we would never use it. Just you don't have to. You don't have to be creative sometimes. If they can't stop something, continue to run it. And he did. He just doesn't seem to like that approach. Um, he, I remember one time. I forget exactly what the quote was, but he had a. He had a quote recently in the press that was like, "We're gonna, we're not gonna make adjustments. We're gonna stick to what our scheme was prior to the game." I was like, "What? You can't be successful that way. You have to see how the game plays out. And if, oh wow, that play really worked, go back to it. Or yeah. oh, man, we're running the ball a lot better than we thought. But our game plan was to pass forty times. I guess we're still gonna pass forty. No, that's not gonna fly. That's not gonna be long term success. They probably don't win this game anyway. But the one game I looked at, it was really." questioning his play calling was Wazoo. That's a game where you want to limit Washington State's possessions. The ground game is actually working for you. We know Steven Montez doesn't play well. It's basically sleet. It's like really cold rain coming in sideways. That was the game where I was just wondering what in the world they were doing offensively. Yeah, they're, you know, a lot of deep balls and <laughs> throwing the ball a ton. No one's catching anything at some point. And then they get a big lead, and then you have to do it. But I, I'm talking about more like the first quarter and a half yeah. of that game. Yeah, I think he definitely has his work cut out for him next year. 
hopefully, you know, you never know. A quarterback could step up and with six months of first-team reps in the spring and summer, all of a sudden they don't look quite as bad as what we've seen in limited action. But he's definitely got some work to do. I think the line should be pretty good next year. So he's got a solid base there. And, of course, we have more wide receivers. Tony and LaVisca are big losses, but there are other guys that can make plays. LaVisca Chenault, to no one's surprise. And if you were surprised, then yeah. that's, that's a you problem if you were surprised by his decision. And just going around all the mock drafts, and, and there's not a whole lot of validity in, in a lot of those. I mean, at one point this season, Mustafa Johnson was projected as a top 10 pick, and that was never going to be the case. But still, he's LaVisca Chenault is projected by pretty much everybody to be at least a mid to late first round pick. Yeah, he probably had to leave. I mean, just from an injury perspective, like he's he just hasn't been able to stay on the field here, and you know things could have got a lot better for him. He could have had a huge senior season. We just don't know. But he also could have been hurt, and then at some point that becomes a trend, right? I thought he solidified himself down the stretch as being a healthy part of the team and did enough to show scouts like he's just an unreal player. Like, there's nobody like him out there. He's going to go to some offense. Hopefully, that's dynamic and we'll use him in the right way, and he'll be immediately be a superstar in the NFL. I think he has special talent. If he stays healthy, he's going to be a ton of fun to watch and be a big, you know, CU beacon for the NFL. In his injury history, is it's not like he's had two torn ACLs. Right. Uh, they have been kind of fluky type injuries. Turf toe. He did have a shoulder injury that he had surgery on. Abdomen. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of tweaked his knee, although I don't think that was a big deal. He probably needs to learn how to go down at the next level. It was admirable, the fact that he would just try to barrel through guys until, you know, He's getting a couple yards after contact every time. In the NFL, for longevity's sake, hopefully a coach gets in, in his ear and says, hey, it, at some point it, it's you're hurting the team by not getting out of bounds in this situation. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, you want a guy to be aggressive, obviously, and get first down yards when you're short of the sticks. But, I mean, once you're, once you're beyond the first down marker, you don't need to kill yourself to get an extra yard or two. He was almost automatic in – short yard situations i was kind of frustrated the the time they did that on fourth and four it's like it's pretty much guaranteed he's going to get two or three but you're kind of pushing it here yeah and it kind of it ruined his i think he was pretty much perfect up until that point i can't remember another time when he didn't convert other unless somebody jumped you know before the ball was snapped and, and then they yeah. had to change their plan I, think, I remember one time last year and at least one time this year where he didn't get it, but, I, I mean, out of, what, 40 attempts, yeah. that's pretty good numbers. Yeah. That's, I'd take your odds there. Anybody who can get 95% of their third or fourth down in short conversions, I think you'd probably like that dude in your backfield slash on the edge. As of the time of this recording, CU has 23 announced verbal commits. Some of the more recent guys to jump on board, former LSU pledge Jordan Berry, inside linebacker Mr. Jones, Inglewood athlete Montana Lamonius Craig and then Mr. Williams. Mr. Jones is back in the day. Yes. <laughs> it's un, it's unfortunate that the Munchie Lego Mr. Jones era at CU never took place. That would have been fun. Yeah. But we got Mr. Williams now. And then in state back, Jaylee Stacks is another one of the Buffs' latest additions. What what are your general thoughts on this twenty twenty recruiting class? It's really solid. I mean, I think they're getting guys at positions we haven't found success at previously. Um, doing a good job of finding guys who will probably make an impact here. That, you know, Jordan Berry being a perfect example, a guy that LSU is going to get that type of player five times a year, if we're being honest. 
but he can so much so in fact that they can yeah. cut cut a Jordan Berry exactly. So, but for a team like us, he can be a game changer. You know, do I think he's necessarily an NFL draft pick? I don't know. We'll find out. But he's a lot better than the caliber of defensive tackle recruit we've been getting in years past. Now, I mean, I don't want to hate on Jalen Sammy because he's turned out to be a very good mm-hmm. Pac-12 player. But if you're getting guys who have no offers at the very last second. Most of the time, that's not going to work out. Now, obviously, with Sammy, we did a good job there. He's going to be a good player for us. But you want to get guys who are in California, ranked top 100, you know, top 500, 600 player in the country. That's what you need in order to move on. And I think – I forget the exact number, but I want to say 13 of our guys are in the top 1,000. That's exceed far exceeds any other class I've seen that I can recall. Jordan Berry is, is pretty solid if they can keep Justin Jackson on board. Uh, we'll see with Julius Coates. He's probably headed elsewhere. Uh, you do get Antonio Alfano. If you had Jackson Alfano and Barry on paper, that's probably the best recruiting class in terms of D linemen we've seen yeah. in a really long time at CU. And what's the D line is going to be good next year, anyways. All those guys mm-hmm. are coming back, assuming Mustafa comes back. I guess we'll see, but I, I don't see him leaving. From what I understand, he's coming back. Yeah, that's. I would think so as well. Jalen Sammy, obviously, is going to be back as well. And I thought Terrence Lang had quietly a very good season as well. He so. got a lot better yeah. quietly, yeah. If all these guys that are coming in, if they find a way to unseat any of those dudes in the starting role, we, we're, that means they're really good. So I think there's at least six or seven guys that you're going to be able to trust on that D-line last year. And that matters down the stretch of games. If, you, if, you, if you're in the trenches, you are fresh and the other team is not, you're going to find your way to some wins. You alluded to the ratings a little bit there. They currently rank number four in the Pac-12 and 29th nationally with the recruiting rankings. There's other going to be other schools below them in the Pac-12 and nationally that pick up some big recruits here leading up to that December 18th early signing period and then the final signing period. What do you think is a realistic expectation for a final ranking with this class based i mean they're they're almost done they're a ju- junior college cornerback hasn't announced yet that's expected to um and you might pull in jason harris a four-star outside linebacker or jared ivy both those guys would help you a little bit but uh where, where do you think if you had to guess right now that they'd finish up with this class being almost full, full at this point yeah i mean if they find a way to get harris that could maybe boost them up far enough to avoid some other teams passing them but you would have to think like sixth in the Pac-12 and maybe 35th, 38th, okay. somewhere in there overall nationally would be about right. People always forget. I mean, we have a lot more commits than a lot of other teams. Most of these teams are going to finish with similar numbers that to what we have. So people are going to start jumping up in their rankings down the stretch of the season here. But, I think sixth is a pretty realistic yeah, expectation, yeah. though, yeah, which I, would be the best they've had in, in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm, for sure, and I think that's... You know, people are going to be like, oh, middle of the road. That's not good enough. It's better than 11th or 12th. (laughs) Right. And listen, we're not out recruiting Oregon or Washington unless we start being a top 10 team every year. That's the only way that's going to happen. Even USC most years, maybe it will be this year. That's not going to happen either. UCLA is kind of like right in that path. ASU right now is probably going to out-recruit us. You know, so it... Sixth is a good spot. I mean, that's like a realistic spot for us. We can we can have success in the Pac-12 at that spot. Speaking of USC, holy moly. <laughs> Clay Helton retained uh, Mike Bone apparently. Legend. Is being told that he can't make the change there, which has happened to him before. Uh, obviously, Bruce Benson pretty much in, in DeStefano pretty much told him that Dan Hawkins is coming back for a fifth year. What a mess out there. Yeah. It's crazy. I was talking to my brother about it yesterday. He's like, yeah, I just can't. I don't understand. I can't. He got out in time. Two years in a row. 
Yeah, I mean, he likes Clay, but I think he thought he was probably going to be done last year. That's what, you know, the rumors were, and then he found a way to wiggle his way out of it. And the fact that he's able to do it again is pretty surreal. I mean, I think the toughest part for them is that their recruiting class has been in limbo for much of the last month or so. And, I mean, I we might finish ahead of them in the rankings right now. And they always finish strong. Yeah. Always finish extremely strong. They'll get some guys, but there's so much negativity. Yeah. It's going to be hard. Recruits, you know, they're on social media now. Uh, yeah, I mean, what do you what do you do if you're that coaching staff to offset a, that? And everyone in L.A. is hating on him for years in a row now. Like, for a while now, USC has been, I don't want to say a clown show, but, like, people have been hating on USC out there for a bit. And what they've, you know, they, they're just not acting like a top ten program yeah. right now. They're just yeah. not. And, you know, I, I, they're, they're going to lose some guys because there's not a lot of optimism around L.A. about what this program is doing. And then Chris Peterson steps down at Washington. Jimmy Lake takes over there. He was a name that came up for a minute with CU, but that didn't really go anywhere. He never got a formal interview and probably had some idea something like this might happen. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts there? Obviously, Peterson has a long history of success. Jimmy Lake, uh, those are big shoes to step into there. For sure. I was pretty shocked. I, mean, I think Chris Peterson... Not only it's bad for the Pac-12. He's an excellent coach. That program has been very consistent throughout his tenure there, and his demeanor. Like he's a likable guy. He's one of the most recognizable Pac-12 faces there is out there on a national scale. And yeah, you're right, 100% huge shoes to fill. Jimmy Lake is a guy that I think has a ton of passion and a ton of talent for what he does now, but that doesn't necessarily translate to head coaching success. We'll have to see. Um, I think recruiting wise, he's going to be able to reach kids. Um, they always have dominant defenses. I'm sure they'll continue to get guys that you know can impact the game on the defensive side. But offensively, there's got to be some concern there looking forward. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I think Washington has kind of buoyed up the reputation of the Pac-12 in a stretch where they've been bad. Um, you know, the Pac-12 as a whole. So if Washington fades off a little bit, I think the Pac-12 could be in some trouble. Yeah, it's. it's in, there's two ways to look at it from a CU perspective. On one hand. You could potentially climb up and, and get wins, get your first ever win against a USC, compete more against a Washington. But on the same level, when the marquee programs are struggling, the, the conference gets no respect mm. and recruits flee to the SEC. I don't know if there's a perfect way to look at that from a CU fan. Uh, on one hand, yeah, you'd like to get a, a team in the national football playoff, but Utah's in the discussion now and people nationally are saying they don't want them in there because uh, that's not a program that, that's sexy enough. Which is absurd. I mean, if you, I don't understand how you could watch Utah play and be like, yeah, that team's not very fun <laughs> compared to some of the teams. Like, you want you want to watch Georgia? Are you kidding me? Unfortunately, that's the way a lot of people feel, yeah. yeah. I mean, that they're, that's boring football. This, this year's version of Georgia is boring football. Yeah. Let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. GoBuffs88 asked, which coaches do you believe will be poached by other programs or relieved of duty by Tucker? And C. Bardeen asked, can you rate the coaching staff as recruiters and as coaches? Any changes needed after year one? I guess we'll kind of go with, if Tucker going to make any changes, that's not happening. And I don't quite think anybody's getting poached off this staff either. It's, yeah. it's early in both a positive way, in a way that other teams aren't necessarily going to try to pull somebody, I would think. Right, yeah. I mean, I don't think they've proven enough here. I mean, we went 5-7 and seven in year one. 
and you went five and seven in the two years previous. So I think from an outside perspective, I'd be, I mean, a lot of this staff is inexperienced overall, and I don't think we did much to open anyone's eyes this year about, okay, this guy's the next up and coming linebacker coach or whoever it is. Right. I think this team, the, what's nice about this staff is they kind of, they kind of came together as a unit. Like a lot of them came together from the same spot from Georgia or with close connections to Mel. I don't really see any of them looking to get out of that super quickly. I think they feel like they have something to build here. And I agree with you. I'd be pretty surprised if anyone wasn't retained. I don't think anyone was egregiously bad at their job this year. The question about ranking them as recruiters, well, there's four CU assistants that are ranked in the top 20 on 24-7 sports recruiter rankings. Darren Chavarini is, of course, leading the charge there. He's uh, an all-star as far as recruiting goes. There's, that's the reason he's the assistant head coach at CU. Next on that list is Mikulowski. Mikulowski. I think Mikulowski might be. Yeah, he's next, I think, on that list. Um, and if Jason Harris commits, that's another feather in his cap. Uh, Kapilovich was told to get three offensive linemen. Two of them are really highly regarded with you know a lot of big-time offers. And the other is kind of a project, but it's a big kid. We'll see there. Yeah. I will say I haven't been quite as sold on him, but that picture. Yeah. Dude, he's huge. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of stone to, to chisel with there. Yeah. <laughs> you think you'd be able to figure out what I mean. He is massive. Yeah. Like we've said before, if you're going to take a chance on a kid, yeah. get a kid that looks like that. And then uh, Jimmy Brumbaugh is is there, um, and that doesn't even include Antonio Alfano, although that's probably more of a Tucker recruit, I would imagine. Brumbaugh obviously met with him. That's yeah. important that he developed a relationship with him for sure. Yeah, but I doubt Brumbaugh had an ex- had a relationship with him prior to this year. No, but if, if Alfano comes out and just doesn't mesh well with Brumbaugh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. not coming no, here. So I'm that, not, yeah, I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm just saying I think Tucker had the initial relationship with Alfano there for sure. I'm trying to think next. I would I would probably go with Hagen. He's always done well if you give him one target and say, Darren, go get this guy. Yeah, I mean, listen, he, we haven't always had the biggest running back commit name. But, I mean, it's been a while since a running back busted yeah. for us. You know, I mean, a lot of those guys have been pretty successful. I mean, I, obviously, I'm, I've been a big Fountainville guy for a long time. He pretty much balled out this year. Jaron Mangum was really good as well. I think he has a chance to be special. And Deion Smith is definitely serviceable. So, I mean, we're, you know, we'll see about Joe Davis and you know, a few of the other guys, but we have Pac 12 starting guys, and that's yeah. all you can really ask for. And Ashad Clayton coming in. I mean, this is a guy that people thought was going to end up at LSU. He did have a knee injury, but he's coming back and had a monster senior season, so there's really not that concern anymore. So they're getting a top level guy there. Jaylee Stacks is an interesting guy. Um, apparently, I was talking with somebody the other day that he went up to CU's camp and was just a little bit overweight, lost a little bit of weight, but still has a lot of that that muscle and power and is a guy that pound for pound is really, really strong and uh, could be their short yardage guy now with Chenault going to the NFL. Yeah, it's one of those situations where he's never going to be a highly ranked guy because he's pretty specific. There's not a lot of fullbacks out there in the world, and I don't know if they'll use him at fullback, but he, you know, you have to have a very specific need to take a guy like that. But what I will say is I like the physical mindset of that decision. I mean, we'll see how it works out with Jaylee Stacks. But the fact that you're taking a guy because you want to physically dominate someone at the line of scrimmage in key moments, I like that. Yeah, Jaron Mangum's pretty physical, but he's not that. He's not really a power back. Right. And uh, we definitely saw with LaVisca Chenault how big a luxury it is when it's 
third and two, you know that guy's going to get those two yards. So hopefully uh, for, for CU that Jay Lee Stacks is that guy. Um, rating them in terms of their coaching ability, uh, you'd have to put Tyson Summers up there given the improvement that this defense showed. Uh, Mikhail Onu said, I don't know if the guy goes home at night. That's the type of hours he was putting in. Uh, it was pretty impressive, and obviously Tucker has his hand on that as well. But he's, he also is also a head coach that lets his coaches coach. So uh, Tyson Summers definitely needs to be credited uh, for uh, the improvement of that group. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely they were very aggressive on third down, especially down the stretch of the season, which we called for early. You're like, listen, we're going to have to try to get after guys and create a pass rush by being aggressive because we just don't have those pieces. So I love that. Um, obviously, he's worked really hard with these guys to get them comfortable in their scheme. And it's you saw pretty quickly, once, once the lights turn on, that defense looked a lot different. I mean, against Utah, obviously, they're outmatched physically. And, you know, that it is what it is. But for the most part, they were solid down the stretch of the season. I mean, I don't think – I'm not going to sit here and say they were – a top 10 defense because that's crazy but they they were they went from a bottom 10 defense to a pretty respectable one by the end of the year so a lot of improvement Kapilovic is another guy on the staff that comes to mind in terms of development you mentioned earlier in the podcast that that's probably the best we've seen on a CU offensive line play in a really long time the penalties were frustrating no question uh, but just to see them blow some teams off the line that Washington game I did not expect to see that. No, yeah. That, <laughs> I'm just sitting there watching it the whole time. Like, what the hell is going on, man? <laughs> like, yeah. we're, we legitimately dominated Washington for 60 minutes. That's crazy. Like, the fact that that could happen in year one. And it's really just goes to show it's a mindset sometimes. you got to be willing to go out there and beat someone. Jimmy Brumbaugh, too. I mean, the D-line got better. Terrence Lang made another jump. Yeah, I mean, you know, pass rush-wise, they've made some progress. There's definitely work to go there. But I thought run, run defense, they were stout the entire season. I mean, I'd I don't I'd have to check the stats. But it, to me, I don't remember a whole lot of games where we just couldn't stop an opponent running the ball. Wyo Buff asked, who do you think will be in the mix at safety next year beyond Rakestraw? Based on Lucas Cooper starting at Utah, it doesn't sound like we have any other real contenders on the current roster. Seems like there are a few 2020 commits in the mix that could factor in, although it is hard to keep track of who ends up at receiver, safety, or cornerback. Those are also freshmen. Guessing a transfer is also an option, but not until the summer. Did the roster breakdown looking ahead to 2020? Safety was definitely the one position I was like, hmm, that might be trouble. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They're going to have to figure out something there probably. So is Jalen Stryker going to be a corner or a safety? Uh, I was told corner. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, there's – I don't know. They're going to have to figure out something, I guess, because well, Lucas Cooper is a senior anyway, right? So it won't be him. Yep. It's going to be – it's going to have to be someone with either inexperience or um, that we have to keep our eye on, shall we say. I will say Lucas Cooper playing at Utah was a combination of him getting quite a bit better. He was placed on scholarship uh, before the season, and but it, it also is – kind of condemning the development of those other scholarship guys. There's no yeah, question about that. For sure. Sam Neuer with another offseason? You're shaking your head? I mean, I don't know. I just can't get I mean, the dude had barely practiced at safety when he was thrown out there. And yeah, I know. He looked it's, not lost, that. it's not that. It's just, it's, I don't know. I can't see a guy who was a quarterback all of a sudden switching into a safety mindset-wise. But, yeah. I mean, I we need somebody to do it, so hopefully it's him or anyone else. Eudofia wasn't with the team during camp and early during the season, so maybe 
Yeah. Now that he's with back with the team full time, that yeah. that could change. I would like to think he talent wise. I mean, he was not great when he played here, but he's you know he would probably have played over Lucas Cooper two years ago. You know, in that situation. Yeah. So hopefully he can bounce back and get it. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be tough. That safety yeah. obviously is an important position. So you could maybe move Mark Perry from star to safety, but I think they like the ability. I mean. Obviously, he, he had some Cheeto moments as a blitzer right. in that role. That's yeah. a big if, – if they get a Jason Harris and he can provide that at outside backer, maybe then you can move Mark Perry back. But I think until you have a pass rusher emerge, you kind of have to keep Mark Perry closer to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's his strength. And I agree. He's probably more natural at safety for what we need. But, I mean, he goes and gets the quarterback. That's what he did best this season. So it's hard to put him out of the role. McBuffster asked, of the three quarterbacks expected to be on the roster and competing for the starting job, Lytle, Stenstrom, and Lewis, who do you believe has the upper hand and why? This is the first of many, 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 many quarterback questions we're going to get here in the next eight months. Yeah. Well, let me start by saying I don't really have a ton of confidence in any of them right now. Um, We'll have to see how it plays out. I think Lytle's probably the early favorite, just because it's hard to say a freshman's going to come in and start. You know, people will talk about Jaden Daniels at ASU, but you don't typically get the number one freshman quarterback in the country. I mean, Jaden Daniels is probably the top freshman quarterback in the country. I don't think you can expect that out of Brendan Lewis. I don't think that's fair. If that's what we get, then awesome, because we have four years of a guy who's going to be spectacular for us. But Lytle's been in the system, and, you know, in limited time, he hasn't looked great. Um, But at the same time, when you get, we talked about, it, I think at the start of the pod, if you get six months of first team reps, all of a sudden maybe that light bulb clicks. Yeah, he asked about upper hand. To your point, I mean, it has to be Lytle just because he has been in the system. That could change day one of spring ball if Brendan Lewis is just. I mean, there, there's some guys. It doesn't take long to watch them to know they have that it factor. For sure. If he shows that, then. Day one of spring ball, he could have the upper hand. So we'll fine. see. I'm not. I'm not opposed to starting a freshman quarterback. I just think it's unfair to be like. Oh no question, Jaden Daniels. Yeah. <laughs> Reed J asked official Lavisca draft projection. Which buffs besides Lavisca do you see drafted or having a real shot as an undrafted free agent? I'm especially interested in your Montez predictions. Reed J also asked. Do you expect Katie Nixon on the roster next season? I hope for his sake someone isn't telling him he should leave for the NFL and go undrafted. I guess we'll start with Katie Nixon. I think that was those rumblings were more earlier in the season. You got to assume that he's he, he's he's a bright enough kid. He understands that he's got to come back. Yeah, I would I would like to think so. I mean, I you know, I don't it sound it sounds bad because of how like what he thought that he was going to be that guy and I don't know how realistic that is, but I'm not going to crush a kid for trying to speak it into existence either. You know what I mean? Like, I get that. Um, I do hope that no one is in his ear saying he should leave early, though, because I think that's a mistake. And he's at least got Vontae and Josh Gines, guys that he's really close to. It's not like LaVisca is his only guy on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of LaVisca's draft projection, uh, do you kind of fall in line with those mock drafts, mid to late first round? I think if it was me, I I know I'm biased, but he would be a top ten guy. Assuming his health checks out. That's what I think the concern is going to be for Visca. But where he is right now, I'd be surprised if he makes it past like 22 or 23. He asked about other guys. Tony Brown maybe. I mean, if Juwan Winfrey 
could get drafted, and we weren't expecting that to happen. Yeah, I um, mean, I think the the difference is Jawan is a physical freak. Yeah, like you looking at him, he's like, okay, that dude could play in the NFL, but talent and health wise, it just never really had an opportunity. Tony is consistent, and I think he'll have a shot. He's to me, he screams a guy who's going to get a UDFA opportunity because there's a lot of guys like Tony out there, is, and I don't mean that negatively, but. He could fit into a system and have some success. It wouldn't surprise me if he makes a roster. But usually those sixth and seventh round picks, people are going to take a risk on a, a guy who maybe has some yeah. insane upside, and I don't really see that. For yeah, me. it's more his position than anything, right? Because if yeah. he was as good as he is as a receiver at a different position, he would be more uh, coveted in terms right. of, yeah, every year there's a ton of receivers. Right. Uh, trying to think. Mikhail Onu, I love the kid. Just not big enough, and I, I hope he proves me wrong. I don't but. think he's fast enough either. Yeah, I mean, he, he was amazing here. I mean, he definitely was like the first half of the season was special to watch. Yeah, athleticism wise, though, I and now he's injured, which is not going to help matters any. So, yeah, I, I that's probably a little bit of a stretch I mean, for me. I think Delrick Abrams should yeah. definitely get an opportunity. He's an NFL type guy now. Long, you know, probably not going to run the greatest forty time ever. But I don't think he's slow. And, uh, you know, he didn't get beat much this year. No. So, I mean, I think he's a consistent guy and probably should be getting a little bit more love. Um, So that's a guy that I'll throw into the ring as a guy who potentially could go. Yeah. He doesn't never really kind of show that ball hawking ability Mm -hmm. that would probably get him drafted. But he definitely has the length and and a lot of the skills you'd want there. In terms of Montez, I really – you know more. You follow the NFL closer than me. I, I really don't know what to think here. Uh, there are people around CU that are convinced one team is going to fall in love with him because of his physical tools and that he will get drafted. Uh, and, and that doesn't surprise me uh, because a lot of these NFL teams are uh, – they think they're going to be the one to, to, to fix his someone. issues. Yeah. Yeah, and that's true. That's very typical of the NFL, and it is also true that it only takes one team to fall in love with you, so you just don't know. But if you're playing the odds, I think he played himself out of a draft spot. That's just – I don't want to say that because I'm a big Montez guy. I have been a big Montez guy, and I don't want to, you know, back away from him now. But for me, yes, the physical tools are all there. But despite that, he never put up numbers with an excellent core around him, especially of wide receivers at CU. Never had 20 touchdowns, never had 3,000 yards. And his people are going to crush him in the film room. Footwork, mental decisions, and people are going to, you know, question whether or not he really loves football enough, I think. So based on what we've heard throughout him, you know, his five years here. So to me, the interview room scared me more than anything. And I hope he proves me wrong. And I do hope someone falls in love with him because if the tools come together, he could be good. Um, and my other fear is he just doesn't strike me as a guy who's willing to be a backup or a you know practice squad player for a year. I just don't see that out of him. So, in his in his defense, I will say they threw a ton at him in, yeah. in this offense this year, uh, a lot more so than he faced earlier in his career. And maybe if he had this coaching staff through his whole career, you would have seen the progression like you hoped. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, having three coaches in, in a career is tough. Mm-hmm. And he did mature. He, you know, enjoyed being a college student and. and Became more focused on football as time went on. It's that's why it's kind of perplexing that he didn't show the improvement. But at the same time, like I just mentioned, it's a new system that was a lot thrown on him this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I'll be rooting as hard as anyone for him to get drafted for sure. Yeah, 
buffs up asked. Let's assume Mustafa. Oh, hold on, hold on. We didn't even get to Davion Taylor. We got. Oh yeah, we got to talk about Davion Taylor. Taylor. Sorry to interrupt you, but he's getting drafted, and his his rise has been as fun to watch as anyone because I think it happened at a position that's not really catered to his talent level. Yeah, I mean, like the previous defense was definitely more catered to him being a habit creator, um, and he's just found a way. I mean. As soon as he knew where he was supposed to be in this defense, he was a missile. He is a ton of fun. And that someone is is going to fall in love with him and take him earlier than maybe you would think because his athleticism is next level. And he could be in a in a creative style defense where they move guys around. He could be a lot of fun. Unquestionably the toughest guy to replace on this defense, right, for yeah. this team? Buffs up asked, let's assume Mustafa and Lamb in return. What players do you think have the potential to declare early for future drafts? There's no LaVisca Chenault I don't on the see team. One, yeah. Honestly. What about Mark Perry, potentially? Again, not. He's just, it's a tough position to leave early. I mean, you have safety, you have to be Grant Delpit to go in the first round, basically. And that just doesn't happen that often. You know what I mean? Like safety, even even a great safety is usually like a third or fourth round pick. So it's it's hard to say that you can expect a guy playing. That's what he's going to be playing at the next level. I, it's hard to say he's going to leave early. What about Jalen Sammy a couple years down the road? Probably not explosive enough. Okay. I mean, he's great. And I think he has a good chance to get drafted. But early, I mean, like, does he have... Probably like, not. I, I agree Aaron with you. Donald level. You know what I mean? Like, those are the type yeah. of guys that are leaving early. I was just running down the roster and thinking of yeah. guys that could potentially do that. And then the other one that I thought potentially could happen is William Sherman, if he really takes another step. He's got to get a little bigger, maybe. But, he, yeah. yeah. He doesn't. He has length, not necessarily the height yeah, right. that the NFL exactly. is going to cover. And the length, well, that's what people care about, honestly, the arm length. He'll, he'll be fine there, but... Still, most left tackles are like 330 in the NFL-ish. He's not quite that level. I mean, yeah. he's probably, he'd probably be number one for me, but I, it's hard to project someone to leave early. you got to be, like, super special. Yeah. GoBuffs80 asked, Can you comment on any redshirt freshmen you think will contribute in 2020? There's only 12 redshirt freshmen. With Visca going... Vontae is the okay. first guy that came to mind. That was what I was going to ask. I wasn't sure if he ended up playing too many games. Nope. Okay. Right, so, yeah, Vontae, based on everything I saw, he is a lot better than I gave him credit for before the season. He's explosive. So he's going to have a chance to play for sure. Um, trying to think of a couple of the linemen, I'm sure, will have an opportunity. Heard good things about Austin, Big Salsa Johnson. Yeah, Austin Johnson. Um, I don't know if I don't think he'd be a starter. But, what's that? Did Austin Williams redshirt? No, he he played okay. in I think every game. Okay, did he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lloyd Murray Jr. was a guy that Jimmy Brumbaugh recently told me had made a big jump, and he redshirted, so he's a guy oh, to look did. out for. Okay. Yep. Cool. So the other guy I had written down is Marvin Ham. Yeah, for sure, that's a good one. I mean, he'll at least be on special uh, teams. Yeah, Alec Pell. I think we'll possibly. Have, yeah, we'll have a chance mm-hmm. to play for sure. I mean, he was a guy that I loved coming into the season. He was one of my favorite recruits last year, so. Um, they have him at inside now, which is a, yeah. little, mm-hmm. a little bit surprising to me. So I'm interested to see what, how he looks. But, yeah, he's a guy that I'll be keeping an eye on for sure. Wyo Buff asked, there's a lot of discussion surrounding how much better this class is than recent classes. With some arguing it is not that much different, 
can you lend some perspective from your side on how we should compare this recruiting class to those over the past 10 years or so? Well, I mean, stats show everything. Um, and two months ago, the, that argument was correct. The, the class was not much different than what we've seen in the past, but they've finished really strong. Two four-star guys, potentially another one coming here pretty soon. We'll see how it shakes out with um, Jason Harris. And is Jared Ivey a four-star too? He is a high three-star. Okay, so either way, you're getting guys that are program changers for Colorado if one of those guys finds a way to, you know, under the CU commit list. I think Jason Harris had 24 sacks and Ivy had 17. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that works. I'll take that for sure. Um, yeah, so at, at this point, it's hard to argue that it's not better. Now, is does it mean we're a top 10 program? No, it doesn't. We, there's still work to be done. Um, but... If you're in the 30 to 35 range, you're going to start winning six ball games a year and potentially above that as well if you're if you're consistently getting that level of talent. So the difference between a low three-star and a mid to upper three-star is pretty significant in terms of depth. Like, okay, someone got hurt who comes in now. Okay, another guy that we can put out there that we you know feel comfortable with, that's the difference between five and seven and seven and five. It's kind of tough to make these comparisons because offers are so fluid in terms of whether they're committable or what whatnot but somebody did on our message board not too long ago kind of break down the number of power five offers of the commits and it was pretty significant the difference there i mean antonio alfano no offense to mike mcintyre is, is not committing to that staff right yeah i mean still it's kind of hard to believe that obviously if you get alfano healthy next year a lot of things i mean eligible <laughs> and playing it really could be that much of an impact on this program. I mean, they need a pass rusher, and there is no doubt that he is a pass rusher. So you get him on the field, and then other things start to fall in place. Natty Zaddy asked, like that nickname, do you see us taking both Ivy and Jason Harris if Ivy starts to lean our way instead of Georgia Tech? I don't know how they'd make that work numbers-wise. Maybe you ask a guy to gray shirt. I, I don't know the answer to that question, but uh, we'll, we'll keep uh, keep monitoring that on buffstampede.com. I know how they do it. Uh, how would they do it? SEC math. <laughs> they always figure there it is, out. Like, it's different now, though, Tyler. This 25 initial counters thing, I it's know. not. <laughs> I feel like they always find a way. Well, it was Tennessee. Was, the, was it Tennessee or Ole Miss that one year just signed like – 38 kids or something, and the NCAA was like, we have to do something now. Yeah. Knees and elbows asked, which of the incoming freshmen should we expect to make the biggest impact in year one? I mean, Brendan Lewis is going to be the first one that comes to mind. I think Caleb Fourier has Uh, to play. For sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, a guy who's definitely going to be asked to play. There's no doubt about that. Um, Man, I mean, a shot Clayton is probably going to play, right? If If he shows up. I mean, I can't imagine. You usually don't bring a blue chip back in and redshirt him. Yeah, so he's he's going to get some he, – he'll get an opportunity to play for sure. I don't know if he – I'm not going to say he's going to be a starter. Could play that kind of Jared Mangrum all from this year maybe. I was told Christian Gonzalez might start out a corner, but I don't think they're going to have a choice at the end of the day. I think he's going to have to play safety. They really – they just don't want safety. So they're just like, all right, this guy's a star. This guy's a corner. We're going to move this one to wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> what about – uh? A walk-on long snapper. JT Bale is uh, graduating yeah. here. <laughs> we have, I feel like we've had a good snapper forever. The, the bar is set high. Most consistent snapper school in the country. <laughs> should we? Should they put that up like on a plaque somewhere around CU? Yeah. 
uh, Snapper U. Snapper U. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Dorno 9 asked, are there exceptions to the NCAA class size of 25? For example, if a player graduates early and leaves, medically retires, or several players leave for the draft, seems like some big-name schools are constantly going over the 25 limit. So again, it, this has changed here in recent years. I, I was looking at the the team recruiting rankings the last few years. There are schools, I think I saw one that had 31 was the most I could find. That, again, creative accounting. You can move some guys back, some guys forward. Blue shirts, gray shirts. It's re- It makes my head hurt trying yeah, to you do had, the math on this stuff. When Eric was at USC, they did a ton of this. A lot of early enrollees, a ton of gray shirts, a ton of blue shirts. They, they, had, they had guys from classes all over the place. Yeah. It was hard to keep in control. So, yeah, you got to – I mean, it's really someone's job, I assume, to, like, keep this all organized and try to figure yeah. out ways to get this done. But, yes, you can get over 25, but it, as you said, it's – not that you can't get over 30 really like if you yeah, if you look at most classes in the top 30 recruiting rankings the last three or four years since they've uh kind of stuck with this 25 initial counters it's it's mostly like 23 to 26 signees for most schools every year so it's it's not the same as it used to be but he asked if a player leaves early or graduates that that stuff all affects the 75 but the 25 initial counters is the, you don't get to add to that right. if guys leave here we go. We're going to get you out of here, Tyler, pretty soon. We've got a couple more questions here. Oh, I'm good. i got nowhere to be. I have to go to work or something. Man, screw that. Anon1587668 underscore scout. Again, we got to get that, that username fixed. I don't know what happened there. Uh, he asked, Adam, on average, how many times a day do you read the board and end up screaming at your computer over our ignorance? LOL. Less Re- times than me. <laughs> really appreciate the great job you do. It's pretty rare. I've done this for long enough that, <laughs> uh, no, the people on the board are generally awesome. Adam has a lot more patience than I do, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Is it one out of two times you look at the board and you scream? Yeah, I mean, I, I got home last night, and in fairness, I didn't watch most of the basketball game, but like reading through the third, <laughs> there's someone who said we were a 500 ball club out there. Like, come on, man. This team is not winning 16 games. Sorry to tell you. There's every once in a while I'll uh, put a lot of information out there, and it just breeds more questions. And at some point, that's maybe when I start to lose my mind. But, no, I I love uh, people uh, and their passion. So that's that's all good. Don't stop. Taser94 asked, where's your favorite place to get breakfast burritos in Colorado? Interesting. We had uh, this question as I was typing this up for the production plan. Maybe Jones for a breakfast burrito, so Tyler and I had breakfast burrito. That that was from El, what is it called? El Therapi, I think. It's just down the street here on Federal. It was okay. Oh, that's was right. not best burrito in Colorado. I would I I think illegal pizza is yeah, my spot. That's, yeah, that's where I would if I'm gonna get a breakfast burrito, that's where I'm going as well. NYTJ Buffan asked about the Australian point guard that visited the bus recently. Chase has already posted a few things on him. I'm gonna try to do some more digging on there. He also asked, on Mel Tucker's inside zone, Tad talked about how he expected Nate Tomlinson to come back and coach one year after he graduated and played in Australia. It ended up taking six. Part of the point was he knew Nate was going to be a good coach. So the question is, are there any players on the football or basketball teams now that may be great, excuse me, may be great coaches in the future? Ken. 
for sure, I think. I mean, Ken just has a different mindset. He's He knows how to lead people. He knows how to stay calm and it just... He, I think he, he would he would probably admit to you he's not playing his best basketball right now and that the team isn't either. But he just on the court it just never looks like it gets to him. I don't know. He has, he just has a different mindset that's rare. Yeah, that's a good one. Dallas Del, Walton's a really bright guy. I don't know what his aspirations are. He probably is gonna go be a CEO him? for some company someday. Yeah, but what about Evan Batty? Maybe. It'd be, it's like Again, I think like weird fit, his personality will, will yeah. suit him well in life with, with whatever he chooses. Yeah. Um, he might enjoy life too much. Coaching is a hard profession. Mm, that's probably fair. Yeah. For football, I could see Nate Lamon maybe. I mean, he's a guy that everybody kind of rallied behind. And uh, it wasn't really fair to him, the fact that he was kind of having to babysit everybody on defense. And eventually, during the season, guys figured out this this defense a little bit more. And he wasn't having to do that. And you saw him play a lot faster. I don't yeah. know Tom, how much of that had to do with that. but Talking faster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Mikhail Onu? Seems like a really, really bright, bright, guy. bright guy. Yeah, yeah. Blue Sky Buff asked, "Our defense looks amazing." Well, he's talking about basketball now, but uh, he says, "Our defense looks amazing." But how worried should we be about the team's offense? I mean, I don't know. I guess it depends on what your expectations are. People are just—it's <laughs> Tad Boyle. Defense and rebounding is going to be the focus of every Tad Boyle program that we that there is <laughs> until he's not here anymore. Offensively, I don't think we're ever going to be elite. That's just a reality. The, the issue is, can they be pretty good? I mean, they're they're in the mid seventies in offensive efficiency right now, which is fine. You know, they're not going to be a top ten team in the country with that, but they're going to make the tournament. Turnovers is frustrating. There's no doubt this team is too experienced to have this many turnovers um, on a consistent basis. But I think I think they'll figure it out to the point that. They won't ever. They're not going to blow up with ninety-five a game or anything like that. But I think with how good their defense is, which is extremely elite, top ten, top fifteen in the country, elite all year long, I think they will. They they can do enough to beat a lot of teams. You mentioned McKinley Wright is not playing his best basketball. If he was playing really well and they were still struggling offensively, I would be more concerned than I am with him not playing his best basketball. Assuming that he does finally kind of hit his stride at some point this season. Yeah, I mean, I think that the other guard position is the most concerning aspect to me between Deshaun and Maddox Daniels and Shane Gatling and Dalen Koontz and Eli Parquet. Two of those guys have got to be better than they have been so far. Now, Deshaun is obviously considerably above that level, but I think for this team to really get to the level that we want, he's got to be their leading scorer. So, I mean, I think there's still work to be done for him, but of those other four guys, they, they need to figure out a way to contribute more consistently. Crazy John was asking about Corey Wren and Mr. Dunahee asked about potential gray shirts. Those are topics I'll report on on the message board. If we didn't get to your question in this podcast, listen to the new Buff Stampede Radio early next week. We'll get to it then. A couple real quick basketball topics here before I let you go, Tyler. Uh, you're heading now to Lawrence. They snuck by Loyola Marymount. Ugly game. Yeah, you, you had to leave the CU event center frustrated if you went to that game on Wednesday night but hey they're seven seven and oh what, what are your expectations heading out to Lawrence this Saturday for for their toughest test of the season uh I mean if you look at strictly matchups we match up with them pretty intra I think I think how we use Tyler Bay on defense will say a lot about the game is, is he going to guard Agbaji is he going to guard someone else um we have to take care of the ball so 
that's not, you know, that's kind of alarming right now. You don't want to go into Allen Fieldhouse and turn the ball over 20 times. It's going to get ugly. I mean, the, it things snowball on yeah. there. So you better be ready to play smart basketball or it's going to be rough. I, I do think Kansas is one of the best teams in the country. So playing them in their own building, is it going to tell us a lot about what this team can do this year? Probably not. You know, I mean, like, I think they're realistic expectation is that they're going to try to stick with them throughout most of the game and hopefully you hit a couple daggers down the stretch. I think that's the realistic approach to how you handle this game. They're Defensively, we're very good. They're not elite on on offense by any stretch, so we can stick in the game. Just got to play smart and take actual basketball shots. KU is as talented or more talented than any team in the country. I think they're missing a shooter, uh, kind of a Legerald Vic that they had early last season before he was kicked off the team. That's, I think, what they're missing in terms of being a national championship team. We'll see as the season goes along. Devon Dotson, McKinley Wright, that matchup is worth the price of admission right there. That should yeah. be really fun to watch. Two of the quickest guys in the country. Abaji and uh, and uh, Deshaun Schwartz, that should be a fun matchup too on the wing. A lot of great matchups in this game, but like you said, in that environment, if you turn the ball over, you're going to get blown out. Yeah, I mean, so in guarding Kalan Azabuki, they're going to have to find a way to keep Evan Betty on the court. I mean, if he goes out with two fouls in three minutes, it's going to be ugly. Yeah. Do they have, uh, I'm trying to think, Strotting? Do they have somebody they can just use the the five fouls for? Frank Ryder? Yeah, that's true. Maybe. You know, like, yeah, yeah I mean, they're, yeah, you don't see that happen has, in college basketball that often. Is it no. just a respect thing? I don't know. Yeah, you there's like some bad free throw shooters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there is for sure. A lot of teams are terrible in general. Outside of the matchup against Dayton in Chicago on December 21st, what what other remaining non-conference games are you most concerned about, if any? CSU on the road for sure. I, I think so. CSU has now blown two games down the stretch. They're they're pretty close to being eight and two. Um, they are better than they've been given credit for so far this year, and that building is never fun for us then it's just a reality so we better be ready to go and it's going to be coming off kansas so we we need to be ready to rock for that one and northern iowa at home northern iowa is legit very good basketball team so we need to be ready for that one as well you're like i mentioned heading out to lawrence chase and jake are heading out there to cover it for the site can you try to make sure those guys don't get arrested out there <laughs> i'm not i'm not that worried about chase <laughs> jake nah, that'll be good yeah yeah we'll take good care of him Although I'm not really sure I'm the one you want to put in charge of things like that. <laughs> good point, good point. Well, you have things to do, Tyler, uh, so we're going to sign off here. Again, another Buff Stampede Radio is coming your way next week. Make sure you tune into that, and thanks for tuning into this one.